Today we're heading to the UK to visit Bex Layton. Bex had a successful career and one that she enjoyed before she gave it all up to go all in with teaching and find a better life balance for her and her family. I hope you'll be inspired by her bravery and her passion. I know I was. Hi Bex, welcome to the show. Thank you. So we'd like to start with a little game here, of course. Two <laughs> lies and one truth. So can you tell me two things that are not true about you and one thing that is true? And I'll try and guess which one is which. Okie doke. So the first one is I once melted my carpet with a hairdryer because I'd knocked a glass of water over and thought the best way to dry it was with a hairdryer and pressed the end into the carpet and melted a circle. The second one is I once took my child to school dressed as Harry Potter when everybody else was in school uniform. And the third one is I once broke my leg in a PE lesson doing country dancing. Oh my gosh, these are all so believable and specific. <laughs> Which one do I think is true? I think Harry Potter. It is, yes. Because, of course, I mean, I would have done that as a kid. So. It wasn't even, it was actually not his fault. It, so I dressed him as Harry Potter, he chose the character, but it was for World Book Day. And Lee, I got the day wrong, so we went a day early. Oh, <laughs> so no. in school uniform, And he was dressed as Harry Potter. Yeah, he was about six. He hasn't forgotten. <laughs> was he embarrassed or was he okay? He's the kind of kid who is very gracious about everything. So he probably was mortified, but was just very kind of calm and let me kind of rub the scar off his head and run home and get some uniform and we kind of sorted it. But, um, but yeah, the other two stories are actually true. They're just not about me. The carpet one was my other son who did recently melt his carpet with a hairdryer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have to watch out for polyester. Yeah, absolutely. Wool carpets all the way from now on. <laughs> Okay, well, that's a little bit about you outside of piano. Now we'd love to get to know a bit more about you as a teacher. So could you pick three words to describe your teaching style or what type of a teacher you are? If you'd like to, you can imagine these are the three words that you would put on a billboard or on a poster to advertise your teaching. Yeah, it was good that you'd asked me this in advance because I found it really hard to think of three. Um, and then, then I thought, actually, it's more of a sentence. And so for me... What sums it up is music changes futures because I just my kind of drive in music is that I just feel like everybody should have a chance to try it and do it and explore it and enjoy it in whatever way and I think sometimes until you've explored it in whatever way is right for you you don't know how that's going to shape your future and you don't know how much it's going to how, how much importance it's going to have for you like through the rest of your life and like you know for me it's been it's meant different things at different times in my life and I just think every kid should get the chance to give that a go. Yeah, that's a beautiful tagline. I hope you use that for your studio, do you? It changes features. Um, I don't use it for the, no, I don't use it for the studio. I'm trying to think what we use. We run a youth choir, myself and a colleague, and it's, it is something like that. I can't, it might be music changes lives or singing changes features. I forget off the top of my head, but yeah. Yeah, well, you, I think you should broadcast that. I think it says a lot about you as a teacher and what you stand for. <laughs> So music obviously changed your future in some way. What was your own musical upbringing like? Did you start lessons at a young age and what were they like? Well, so the story that I've been told, I don't remember it, is that when I was two, 
we were at my grandma's house and she had a piano and played and I was two and I was sat at the piano and I managed to pick out Twinkle Twinkle Little Star so they all kind of went oh like maybe she might like music so my grandma kind of continued to foster that a little bit I mean I was tiny so I didn't kind of do anything formally with it with her just noodled around with it my first formal piano lessons I was six learned until I was so I did my grade eight when I was 14 so I think I still had lessons till I was about 15 picked up violin along the way dropped violin along the way because I was a terrible violinist picked up flute loved that really really loved that and stuck with that so I now teach piano and flute but really sort of it was a big thing in our house in that me and my sister both learned but my parents weren't particularly musical and they both loved listening to music we were surrounded by music in that sense but we were the only people in the family that played but it was a big part of my life you know like my, my best friend was musical so it was very much in my friendship group and we were in orchestras together and traveled all over the place doing that and played for choirs as well ended up becoming a piano accompanist for choirs and sort of dabbled in teaching and playing for choirs from quite a young age as well I think I was 16 when I first started doing that so it's always been there but it I think I still thought it was a hobby <laughs> until quite recently it wasn't it wasn't the job I've done for years so I think it, in my head it was my hobby and I loved it and that's kind of where it was when I went off to university so yeah but it sounds like you advanced quite well reasonably quickly to finish grade eight at 14 for our international listeners that's the last one so that means you you did obviously put in some work did you practice consistently do you think yeah I did I definitely did I thought about it a lot recently actually why did I practice so much and I think I just had that kind of magic combination of parents who knew that well a teacher that was encouraging the practice and basically said you have to and you have to do she kind of prescribed how many minutes a day depending on what grade we were at and my and I had parents who stuck to that and I was a real rule follower as well I was a bit dull in that sense as a kid if there was a rule then that was the rule and that's what I did so practice had to be 30 minutes and then it had to be 40 minutes or whatever so it was kind of part of the routine so that helped but I think that plus I think you've got to you've got to love it haven't you like you've really got to have that internal motivation to really want to play that piece so if you haven't grabbed a kid with a, if you haven't hooked them in with a piece of music then it's the wrong piece of music and you need to find another one because if you, if you don't love it you, are, you aren't going to sit at home and practice it till you're blue in the face so so yeah I think I did yeah I think I worked really really hard at it but I loved it as well it wasn't difficult to practice I was lucky I loved it yeah I, I like what you said about being a rule follower. I think some people just are. And just if you set an expectation and like I often I don't love setting minute goals for practice, but it obviously worked for you. So it just shows how different approaches work for different pe people. But like you were never you doesn't sound like you were the kid that was going to faux practice for 30 minutes to like get away <laughs> with something because you did have that drive for the music. You mentioned there like it has to be music that you really want to learn to motivate you, but you were going through the exam system. So do you feel like the exams spurred you on that you like the results were a big part of it or no, it was just the music? No, for me, it was exams and performances as well. So anything where I knew people were going to hear what I was doing, that was enough for me to go, right, this has got to be better. Otherwise I'm just going to be mortified. And I think I was probably more of a perfectionist than I am, than I am now as well. So like results mattered to me I was bothered about passing the exams and doing well in them and I was bothered about doing well in music festivals and that kind of stuff so yeah for, like for me exams were the right thing 
but mm -hmm. they're really not for everybody are they so I don't that's not something you know I don't make all my students do exams at all that's very much a, an opt-in opt-out yeah I think you're right they're not for everybody and there is a danger even with a student who is motivated by them that they'll get distracted by they'll be so focused on that that they don't appreciate the music they're not motivated by music because they're so focused on the result mm -hmm. and then they get to grade eight and they feel like well done like yeah. what's the next thing i'm done yeah. that's it i finished that yeah. yeah totally agree and i find as well that they often haven't learned as much they haven't played enough do you know what i mean they've done like those three pieces and they've done them to death and then they've done the next three pieces to death but there's just been not been enough around that for them to go oh actually there's that kind of music out there that i've not come across before or just and just to enjoy playing more so yeah to, yeah to experience different types of music and to become a great reader often pure exam based students don't become great readers unless the teacher takes the sight reading component of the exam very seriously because you're just reading three pieces you know you get to know them and that's it you're not reading anymore mm -hmm. so yeah there's dangers along the way but obviously it worked for you so it does work for some people is there anything you wish had been included in your lessons growing up oh yeah yeah definitely so it, I was, it was just very classical training and it was in the 80s and 90s anyway so it was, it, I guess yeah styles were different then but I didn't do anything apart from when I had to do grade five theory I did nothing on chords and improvising and composing and so at the point where I did have to do grade five theory that was like a slap in the face anyway because I hadn't really built up to it I learned the theory that went with the music I'd played but I hadn't done any kind of just anything that came before the grade five level stuff so that that was kind of not not a gap but just that was just a bit of a leap in but the all the chord stuff I've, I had to teach myself that when I was accompanying choirs because I didn't know I had no idea what those letters meant at all I just learned scales I hadn't I hadn't even linked scales to chords there was, and I didn't know what the circle of fifths was there was just massive holes in my knowledge of music and so so that's a big part of what I do when I'm teaching all of everybody that I teach is is kind of aware at least of the circle of fifths and how that relates to what they're doing and lots of them like to improvise lots of for lots of lots of them that's their strength so if we, if we didn't do that I wouldn't know that that skill and talent was there anyway so yeah that was a big gap for me yeah just to explain one thing for the listeners there who aren't familiar with ABRSM and the theory requirement when you want to do grade five of a practical instrumental exam you have to have done the grade five theory written exam and so some students will do both the whole way through, but many will just get to grade five and go, all right, well, now you have to do theory. Whereas before that, they hadn't covered it. So that's what Bex was referring to there. But from all that wonderful choir experience and going through college and everything, what, at what point did you get into teaching and what inspired you? So when I went to university, I did speech and language therapy so I remember doing my A-levels which were French German and biology and thinking what am I going to do with French German and biology it's such a weird mix and I, I knew I didn't want to do languages and I didn't have any of the other sciences to go with biology and I got into speech therapy just by thinking well I just I just knew that I wanted to help people but that's kind of all that I knew and I found languages fascinating so I ended up choosing speech therapy and I did that for 15 years working for the NHS and loved it I absolutely loved it and I never stopped teaching I'd always had like little bits of it on the side but it really was just kind of somebody's kid wanted to learn and I was like oh yeah I can teach them a bit and but I always kept up with choirs as well so playing for choirs was always a thing and and just keeping playing to myself 
And then a few years ago, I can't think how many now, my mum was diagnosed with terminal cancer and she lives about two hours north of where I live. So there was a lot of traveling and it gave me a bit of a wake up call as well. I was struggling with the balance of trying to work kind of was full time or almost full time, looking after my kids, even seeing my husband and, and spending as much time as I could with my mum. That was tricky. And just a bit of a wake up call, like a life is really short kind of wake up call. And just felt like, well, maybe I'm doing this wrong. Maybe I should be doing something that's that fires me up a bit more. Or maybe I can find something that enables me to be a bit more flexible with how I run my life. And thought, do you know, one day I just thought I'm just going to do it. I just took the plunge. I can't remember why I was suddenly brave enough to do it, but I was. And just kind of gradually built it up from there. So it was brilliant because it meant that while my studio was building, it was small enough that I could manage to be with my mum loads and manage my own health better because that wasn't great at the time and see more of the kids and things and then yeah here we are it's full now with a huge waiting list and it's brilliant and I absolutely love it and feel like the luckiest person alive to do my hobby for a job it's brilliant yeah I mean that's amazing that that inspired you that you well that you recognize the wake-up call and realize what was happening but you said you don't know what inspired you to do it, but you did just quit your job. Is that what happened? Or were you like, no, you quit it? I did in the end. That It took a little bit of a bit of financial juggling and my husband took a bit of convincing <laughs> that it was going to be fine. <laughs> um, but I mean, I think to be fair, we could all see that we were all on our knees trying to manage everything. You know, it wasn't what we were trying to do wasn't working. So I did... Yeah, I, just, I literally just quit. I had some sick leave, which kind of filled a gap, which was good. That gave me enough enough kind of thinking space. But yeah, it took a lot of conversations with family and friends to, to find the courage to do it. And I'm just really lucky, like so lucky that I was in a position where I could do that and we could risk it. I don't know what I'd have done if we, you know, if we couldn't have done that. But yeah. So how many students do you have, did you have when you took that leap that's a big leap isn't it I yeah. had to and a choir I had and no, two choirs yeah I had so I had two paid jobs with choirs and I had two piano students no flute students so yeah I've got now I have 57 students and a, it's only one choir really but it's split into three so one youth choir that I do on a Monday night so I'm busy really busy yeah and it's just you right it's just me. Yeah. And it's not group lessons? No, it's not group lessons, no. Okay, just to clarify that, because 57 is a high, that's a high student load. When yeah. you said you were full, you're really full. Really full, yeah, I am really full. I've, I've got a good chunk of adult learners and a, a couple of home ed students. So some of that is during the day when my kids are at school and college, but most of it is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday evenings, and then Saturday mornings. So I'm careful with Sundays, they're totally protected and Saturday afternoons. And then Mondays, I don't teach at all. I just, I do nothing all day. That's my day off. And then, and choirs in the evening, which is kind of like having an evening off anyway. It's just fun as choir. So. Well, that's great. I mean, it's amazing that you made that leap and I'm so glad it worked out well and you had support behind you to, to make that transition because it was a big one. Can you tell me about any particular student who changed something about how you teach or about how you run your business? so I don't know I think every student that comes through your door changes how you teach a little bit because they're all they're all individual aren't they and the, there is I don't I've never found any kind of way of teaching that fits everybody I'm always kind of shifting things to fit what that kid or adult needs I suppose 
the one that stands out is a girl who has a significant visual impairment and I, so I've, through working in speech therapy I've worked with people with lots of different needs and disabilities but I hadn't really done much in visual impairment so that's been a big learning curve but in not kind of in ways I expected like I was kind of anticipating the whole challenges of reading music and things but I really hadn't anticipated the level of talent she was going to have I mean she's incredible she's just done grade two and she's only had lessons for I think about 18 months and she's nine eight or nine she's brilliant wow. but she's just very inspiring to be around and kind of she really feels and connects to the music that she's playing so she kind of brings quite a lot of joy to her lessons from that point of view but it's also really challenges me in kind of shaping where she's going with things because she's so creative and can hear harmonies so well that she's always sparking off with new ideas of things she wants to play or she'll come in and go listen to this and she's created some amazing melody with some fab harmonies underneath and so it's it, that kind of challenges me in thinking about how do I steer that like what's what do I give her next like you know kind of she's okay so she's working with major and minor can I can I get to thinking like can we add some sevenths or can we you know can, can we change can we augment that melody a bit and just trying to get her to think about it it's good fun so I guess she's a teacher differently probably and she's probably changed how I approach some things definitely she's she, she make they all do it makes me a better teacher the more you teach the more you learn don't you so absolutely are there any mistakes that stand out to you from your years of teaching so far oh, I bet there's millions there's probably so many times where you say something and think oh, I phrased that really badly or I didn't I could have thought that better or what did I say that for <laughs> I think for me the, the risk for me is being so busy that you're too busy and you don't you, you haven't got enough time so you, you make mistakes because you you're kind of rushing through things so that's happened occasionally the, the only one I can think of that's a good example and thank goodness it was a really forgiving family was a student who in that chunk of time during lockdown where loads of people were having to do video exams instead of what they thought was going to be a face-to-face -face exam in that chunk of time I had quite a few to do and was quite new to it I guess as well and I was trying to learn that's not an excuse but um so I'd videoed this kid doing her exam pieces and her scales and then I'd uploaded all the videos and I thought I'd check them and I hadn't and when the feedback came back she did fine <laughs> she did she still got a distinction thank goodness but she'd I'd submitted the like dry run of her scales the one with all the mistakes and me going let's try that again and it was just like the practice run it wasn't at all what what she did when I was like and now let's video it for the exam so she'd done way worse in her scales oh. than she should have done but she did okay and I just fessed up and told the family what I'd done and apologised. But yeah, it's that kind of thing. If you don't take the time to be careful about stuff, you you can get it wrong. Yeah, it's really hard to review all those exam videos though. Landed so much more work. I know it landed a ton more work on the exam board as well because they had to figure out how to do it. But teachers end up reviewing or then a parent wants to say, well, is this one better? Is this one better if they recorded at home? And it takes a long time to watch all those videos and check which one was actually better. So I do understand making that mistake, like there was so much going on. So if you could turn back time and talk to yourself as a first year teacher when you were just starting out, is there any advice you would like to share with yourself as a younger teacher? I think just to relax and kind of chill out about it a bit because I think I was so like, they've got to progress. They've got, to, you know, I've got to prove that they're getting better and I've got to make sure every lesson is amazing. You put so much pressure on yourself, don't you, as a teacher to do the best you can. And I think maybe over the last few years, I've been more like, do you know what? They're, they're going to progress anyway, just by being here for half an hour and doing music for half an hour. And 
they are going to progress and they do like all all of them do of course they progress so that would maybe be yeah relax and no yeah just trust yourself and just relax that it's going to be fine as long as they're having fun as long as they're having fun and enjoying it the rest follows doesn't it so yes release the control almost a little <laughs> bit and just say what will happen will happen then we're going to focus on each week as it comes yeah so is there anything you think people outside of our industry misunderstand about what we do perhaps something you misunderstood as a like one or two student teacher when you were in another job is there anything that surprised you about being a full-time teacher i'm constantly surprised that i've got 57 students <laughs> anything that's misunderstood i guess maybe some people still have that kind of very traditional view of it i remember telling one of my grandparents that i was going to leave and be a piano teacher and she was like do people still want to do that <laughs> is that not really old-fashioned maybe that maybe that's out there I guess I wasn't aware of how much scope there is for teaching through games and teaching away from the piano I think maybe in my head when I first started out I was still sat at, at the piano for half an hour in the way that I was taught because that's what I did I never moved off that piano bench in a lesson so maybe yeah I mean maybe until you're doing it maybe people aren't aware that that's how music lessons can run yeah absolutely no, I'm in it so I don't know <laughs> I don't know what people think outside of it yeah now you're in it were your colleagues did you explain to your colleagues what you were doing by the way when you left yeah yeah just did yeah. any of them say what I don't think so I don't know oh, that's great maybe behind my back they were like what is she mad <laughs> <laughs> my face they didn't know I remember feeling quite supported really and you know in not encouraged to leave that sounds awful but just you know by friends and colleagues who were friends and encouraged to do what's right for me so that's wonderful uh, that you had that so last question then I want you to imagine a teacher out there who is feeling uncertain perhaps they are teaching part-time themselves and they've never been certain enough to take the plunge or they're just generally not sure of themselves in how they teach or how they run their business or that kind of thing. What advice could you share with them? I would say that it's that relax and chill out thing, isn't it? It's that there isn't, I don't think there's like a right way to teach that's going to fit every teacher and every student. I'm sure I don't teach in the same way as every other teacher on the planet. That's There's no way that that's true. And I think I probably learn I probably felt exactly like that and I probably learned most by getting on social media and connecting with as many like piano and flute teacher groups as I could and just tried to kind of sap up what's there went into music shops and looked at all the method books and tried to figure out what kind of spoke to me as a teacher and then trying them all out you know try maybe and maybe I'd encourage them to just try all their ideas out as well because if it doesn't feel right for you then it's not right for you even if you think that's what I should be doing and that's how I should be teaching if that if that doesn't sit right then that isn't right for you regardless of the, the theory behind it it's got to work for you and it's got to work for that student as well does that make sense I feel like I've just really waffled my way through that no, not at all I think really the message is to go out there see what's out there explore it and trust your gut sometimes in terms of what is is going to work for you and your students and how you want to teach and then you yeah. can always adjust it later right yeah exactly and ask the students and their families as well like constantly be checking are they happy like, is this what you want to be learning you know make sure you've got make sure you know what their goals are and don't assume that what you think is is right is going to be right for them either just check in all the time and 
it's all about communication, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, Bex, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's been such a pleasure. Oh, you're very welcome. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Do you love this show? Then please share your favorite episode with a teacher friend who you think might enjoy it and benefit from it. If you resonated with today's story, then the Vibrant Music Teaching membership is probably a good fit for you too. Find out more at vibrantmusicteaching.com.